nothing can make them stumble. We confess we live in a restless world. Our hearts are often restless. Lord, we need your peace. We need your tranquility in our hearts. And we pray that you would strengthen us through your word. Pray for these young ones as they go to friends of Jesus, that you would speak peace into their hearts. And Lord, that you would give us as well uh, peace and love for your word, that God, you would fulfill your purposes for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Faith. Welcome to our message series on the gospel according to Matthew, which is about the king and the kingdom. It's about Jesus who comes to usher in the king kingdom, and it's about him persuading and, in, and informing and convincing both Jews and Gentiles that he is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, uh, not just for the Jews, but also for all people and that uh, he is calling to himself a radical community of the kingdom. And so uh, we've been unpacking that for the last number of weeks. We'll be actually going through Matthew up until Easter. Uh, last week, our minister of youth, uh, uh, Reuben, gave a great message on John the Baptist, who was, uh, who was one who was a faith struggler as he was imprisoned. Uh, he came to Jesus and and uh, he was one who recognized that Jesus will surprise you. <laughs> uh, he is not our God in the box. And so he comes to Jesus with his questions and his doubts. And uh, we find that in that, uh, Jesus would say to, to uh, his disciples, I, Among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so Jesus, he exalts the faithful and faith-struggling John the Baptist, and he encourages others to pursue such greatness in the kingdom. Well, today we're going to be looking at Jesus uh, surprising other people again, and particularly religious leaders, religious rulers, and as he shows himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath, or the Lord of rest, as he calls the weary and the burdened to find their rest in him. Let's look at the end of Matthew 11 through uh, parts of chapter 12. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, in heart, you will find rest, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the, to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, 
you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. A big question that was discussed the next morning, on Monday morning, in, uh, with some of my gym buddies was, what did Coach Bill Bilicek of the Boston Patriots say to his losing team during halftime when they were down 21-3 to to spur one of the greatest comebacks in NFL Super Bowl history, overcoming a 25-point deficit and winning in overtime against the Atlantic Falcons. Now, one scenario went something like this. Well, team, you all know you have played a horrible first half. I am so disgusted with you. Defense, offense, quarterback, you all played horrible football. You should be ashamed of yourselves. I sure am. You call that football? The Falcons have taken us to the woodshed. That was a pathetic performance. You embarrass me. If you don't play better the next half, heads are going to roll. Now get out of my face. Another scenario was something like this. Well, team, you all know you have played horrible first half. At this point, we have lost the game, and history tells us that we will lose the Super Bowl. No team has ever been able to return being this far behind. But this is what I want you to know. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Regardless of what happens in the second half, I love you men. We are family here, and nothing changes that. You and I both know you can play better football, but I want you to know you are free. Just go out there and have fun playing the second half, and don't let anything rob you of, of the joy of playing great football. I love you. Well, neither one of those scenarios is what Bill Belichick used. But the second one was closer. According to the reports, Coach Belichick uh, didn't wait until halftime to coach improvements, but was coaching improvements all through the first and second quarters. And when they got to the locker room, there were no dramatics, no great speech, no casting wizard spell over them to change everything. One Patriot said, he said that we have to keep doing what we're doing, play like we know how to play, and not to think about what happened. They have to score a lot more points to keep us down. We knew we could score enough points to win. Bilicek knew that they had it in them to overcome their losses. He corrected their weaknesses. He encouraged their strengths and told them not to focus on their failures. There was no berating, denigrating, or threats no condemnation. He brought the best out of his players. Bilicek was an encourager. I am not a Patriots fan, 
but I do respect the fight and the athleticism to come back and win like they did. And while football is just a game, those two scenarios that were presented is not a game. They are the competing spiritual realities that underlie so much of the world we live in. They represent the ethos and the character of the two different kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of Christ. One kingdom enslaves and exhausts its subjects. The other kingdom liberates and renews. One rules with exacting performance and perfection, condemning, devaluing, and diminishing the weak. The other leads with inviting grace, affirming the weak, and offering the sweetness of soul rest. You might be here today, and you might feel in your bones a weariness of trying to do it all. The forces, the voices without and within that are telling you that you are what you do, or how well you perform, and that you must do better, you must be smarter, you must win, you must dominate, you can't stop, you can't fall behind, you can't rest. And here at the end of Matthew 11 and chapter 12, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, offers words to the weary, and he calls us to find our rest in him. Here we see the king of rest inviting the weary to rest through three imperatives, three commands, come, take, learn. Come to me, take my yoke, learn from me. Come to me, come to me, all you who are laden and heavy laden and labor, and I will give you rest. And the context here is that right before this, these words, Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of the mighty works he had done uh, where the people did not repent, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. The Capernaum was the, the town that he moved to uh, when he started his ministry, and he performed many miracles and signs and wonders. But they did not respond to this amazing grace, and he condemns those cities. And Jesus declared to the Father in a in, in, the, in the prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your gracious will. God delights. He's pleased to disclose and to uncover, to make known that which has been hidden from the wise and the understanding. And he gives them to little children. He gives them to these babes, these untaught, these unskilled, the little infant babes, because it's the Father's good pleasure. And who are these little children, these babes? They are the humble, they are the broken of the world. These are the people at the end of their rope. The resources are, are exhausted. They are the weary and tired. They have nothing left in them. They are the ones who feel crushed by the weights and the forces that surround them, that demand from them, that constantly accuse them that, that they are not good enough. These are the weight, weighted, weary, exhausted, burdened ones that Jesus beckons to come to him to find rest. And he says, and I will refresh you. I will rejuvenate you. I will renew you. 
it is this that we need to see who Jesus is inviting to his rest. He is inviting the spiritually weary, heavy laden, and exhausted. He is inviting the person who is at the end of their rope. In other words, if you want to find rest in Jesus, you must be spiritually desperate. You need to have to come to that place in your life where you know your back is against the wall, you know that all that you have tried isn't working, it isn't enough, you have expended all of your own resources, and you're going down. There was an illustration by a lifeguard who was watching uh, a strong athlete out in the water who actually didn't know how to swim, and, and this athlete had stepped off of a ledge, and he was flailing, and his arms were gone over, his name was Bob, and Bob's friend was standing by the lifeguard and saying, well, aren't you going to go out and do something? Bob can't swim. you got to help him. And uh, the lifeguard just, you know, waited. And he was just watching. And he says, well, if you don't go and help him, I will. And the lifeguard firmly said to him, no one can help him, yet I'll help him when he is ready for help. And he, after a few more minutes, and the young athlete stopped struggling, his body became limp. The patient lifeguard suddenly dove into the water, swam out to the young man, and brought him to shore. And later, the friend of Bob asked the lifeguard, why did, you not, why did you wait so long to help my friend? And the lifeguard responded, as long as Bob was trying to save himself, there was nothing I could have done for him. If I had swam out to him, he would have grabbed me and pulled me under, the, under with him. Only when he was weak, exhausted, and had given up, was I able to save him? Be found in yourself, in help, self-help programs, or in med even meditation exercises, or works-based religion. Even a vacation to the Caribbean isn't going to give you the true rest that you need. The true rest comes through Jesus. And so Jesus calls us to come. That's all he's asking for the spiritually weary, exhausted ones. Nothing more. Come to me. You know, sometimes people will invite you to dinner, uh, and uh, you might say, well, what can I bring? And uh, often they'll say, nothing. Just come. Just come as you are. Just come by yourself. And so Jesus invites us to come. Uh, Jesus doesn't tell people to get themselves together. Sometimes I'll, I'll invite people to church. He says, when I get myself together, I'm going to come to church. Jesus, don't wait. Jesus is not asking for people who have it together to come to church or if they get the right clothes to come to church. Jesus wants you to come right now, just as you are. And then he says, take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is a yoke? Well, a yoke is that wooden bar or frame that joins two animals like oxen or horses so that they can pull a wagon and plow together. But the rabbis often use the word yoke actually to describe the school, their school for their students. But Jesus talks about a yoke that he offers that is one uh, that is light, uh, one that is kind and good. Jesus is contrasting his yoke with the yokes of the world. You know, everyone has a yoke. Everybody 
is carrying a yoke. Everyone is choosing which yoke they will have. Everybody has to serve somebody, Bob Dylan said. You can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everybody has a yoke. Jesus is is contrasting the revealing and suffocating yoke of the Pharisees with his yoke. In Matthew 12, uh, the Pharisees come condemned Jesus for going through the grain fields with his disciples. The disciples were hungry, and they picked up some of the grain and started rubbing the heads and were eating. And the Pharisees were clear that, that uh, this was against the fourth commandment of thou shalt not do any work. And the Pharisees came to believe that, that they were violating, these disciples were violating God's law. By this time, the scribes and the Pharisees had developed over 1,500 laws that defined work in order to prevent people from violating the Sabbath. One rabbi studied these laws for two years and says, you, and one of them was, you can't walk more than a half a mile. You can't send a letter to a non-Jew within three days of the Sabbath. Killing a flea or other, another insect was forbidden. A woman was forbidden to look in the mirror on the Sabbath because she might find a white hair and be tempted to pull it out. This is all in these laws, these 1,500 laws. Here they saw that plucking these grains or corn or, or wheat was a forbidden work. And the Sabbath had degenerated into deadly formalism that had ripped the heart and the meaning out of Sabbath. Sabbath observant had become a burden around complying with the whole gamut of man-made rules to prevent people from violating a simple law. And Jesus defiantly overturned that in his day. He defended the blessing of the Sabbath. It was made for a day of freedom. It was made for a day of celebration. And it was not to be a stumbling block. And so Jesus actually is confronting these Pharisees. They weren't interested in the discussion. They really were not interested in learning really more about the law. They had made up their minds. They were there to condemn Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, you think you know the law? And he gives them three case studies. He gives them three apologetics. Bam, 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 right in a row. Uh, He's saying... You know the law? Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? In verse 3. Or have you not read the law on how the Sabbath priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Verse 5. Or verse 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is like battering them with scriptural proof text for what the true meaning of the Sabbath was. And these were people, these were supposed to be men of the law. He insults them and confronts them with their ignorance. They should have known. So the first one is that he presents King David's experience when he was fleeing from King Saul and was famished. And he comes to uh, priest Abiathar in in 1 Samuel 21, who graciously gives him the consecrated ceremonial bread, which was only for the priest to eat. The consecrated bread in the temple Uh, Every single week on the Sabbath, 12 loaves, fresh loaves of fine flour, a very unique recipe that was only designed for the Sabbath worship. These were 12 loaves fresh that were placed into the temple. 
uh, wouldn't that be wonderful to come into worship every week and have just this aroma of all of this fresh bread? Well, that's what the priest had. And part of the point of this fresh bread uh, was that it was to represent fresh worship of God's people. That, that coming to God was not to be a rote, a ritual, a dead ritualism full of rules. It was to be a means of great joy and celebration. And so, uh, but the priest, Abiathar, he knew intuitively that the body and the, the, uh, the health of David and his hungry men was more important than the ritualism of, of, of the consecrated bread that was just for the priest. And Jesus makes it clear and he affirms that. Uh, no ceremonial provision should stand in the way of providing for the essential needs of life. Jesus elevates human need above religious ritual. The Sabbath was about the celebration of God's faithful provision. The Sabbath was not to be a means of legalism. Now, in verse 5, it says, Have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about that the priest on, this, on the Sabbath day, which is the day of worship for God's people, was a, place, was a means where they had to work. They had to serve in order to provide an opportunity for people to worship. And so in some sense, they profaned it because they were laboring. But in the other sense, they were providing a higher calling than, than, uh, than not working because they were providing a means for people to worship the Lord. And so Jesus affirms that. And then he says in the last one, if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And he's, he's actually referring to Hosea chapter 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And what he's raising in that passage is that God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts of mercy. And, and when he talks about mercy, he's talking about that the call to love our neighbors as ourselves, to care for one another, is a very vital part of the expression of our faith. That is what the Sabbath is about. And he then gives this great, clear illustration with going directly into the synagogue right after that. There's a man with a withered hand, and immediately the scribes and the Pharisees knew that he was about ready to heal. He says, is it lawful to heal a man on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, uh, he tells, he anticipates uh, that question, and and he says, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? And what Jesus is bringing up is a dispute among the, the scribes and Pharisees that it wasn't, it wasn't right to help an ox out of a pit. One of the laws was nobody should help an animal give birth on the Sabbath day. And if he makes it fall into a well or pit, he should not take it out. Even if a living man fell into the water, they were not to take him out using a ladder or a rope. I mean, that's how crazy things had become. But Jesus corrects all of that, and he says, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it, on the, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He the man stretches out his hand, and Jesus heals it. And now, what we find here is this, is that our God is a God who has made the Sabbath for man, for you and me. 
It is to be a day of rejoicing, a day of celebrating, a day of renewing, of, of experiencing grace. And uh, Jesus says something greater that the temple is here for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus was condemning the, re the religious legalism of the scribes and the Pharisees. He was really condemning what we would call religion. Religion is if I perform and obey, I'm accepted. I give God something and he owes me, and that was their framework. But the gospel is I am totally accepted in Christ, and it's because I am totally accepted, I am totally loved, that I obey. That God through Christ gives complete salvation through sheer grace. And what we find is that Jesus confronts these, uh, these Pharisees. Jesus is really a yoke breaker. Uh, Hosea 11 says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. This is the God of the scriptures. This is the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Leviticus it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. This is the God of liberation and Jesus offers us that liberation. But you know, it's not a natural thing, it's not intuitive for us. And so Jesus says, and learn from me. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus is approachable, he's humble, he's accessible. Uh, Sabbath resting is something that you and I need to grow in. Uh, it's something that we have to learn by intentionality. Uh, because there are so many forces, so many voices that are coming at us that keep reminding us or telling us that we have to work harder, that we're not accepted, that we are orphans, we're all alone in this world, that we have to keep striving. Barbara uh, Brown Taylor, writer, speaker, wrote the article or book on divine subtraction. She says, it does seem to me that at least some of us have made an idol of exhaustion. The only time we know we have done enough is when we are running on empty and when the ones we love most are the ones we see the least. When we lie down and sleep at night, we offer our full appointment calendars to God in lieu of prayer, <laughs> believing that God, who is as busy as we are, will surely understand. And now with technology, our rest is invaded so much more, is it not? Uh, I left my phone at home, and I didn't have it for nine hours. And I can't tell you how many times I was thinking, of, where's my phone, and who's texting me, and where are these emails, and who's trying to contact me, and looking on Facebook, and whatever you're on. On social media, we're constantly bombarded, and we have become addicts in many ways. And so there are so many other forces in our day that are robbing us. But the God of the scriptures and the God of rest and the Lord, the King of rest, he comes and he says to those who are weary and exhausted, come to me and I'll give you rest. Uh, it's interesting to me that the day doesn't start with the morning. It starts at night. 
You know, in creation, Genesis chapter 1, after God created each day, it says in there was, it didn't, he did not say there was morning and evening, but there was evening and morning that day. And so the day in the scriptures starts at night. In God's creation sequence, evening is the beginning of the day. For us, it's, a time, it's normally a time that we quit our activity and go to sleep. It's a time of absolute non-productivity. But while we go to sleep, God begins to work. <laughs> God is working to renew and to refresh us. George MacDonald said this. He says, sleep is God's contrivance to, for giving us the help we cannot get, that he cannot get into us when we are awake. We need sleep. And Eugene Peterson said, when we wake up, we wake up to a world we, we didn't make into a salvation we did not earn. <laughs> and then Charles Spurgeon. Charles, the message of our gospel is the gentle word, come. Our Lord says, come unto me and I will give you rest. The law says, go and do. The law says, go and take heed to your path to which you walk. Break the commandments and perish. Keep them and live. The law drives men with a whip. Christ draws men with bands of love. The law repels the gospel attracts. Christ is the good shepherd who goes before his sheep and says, come, I will give you rest. And so we have a shepherd who comes to his sheep. And he says, not only come and I will give you rest, but he says, come because I am your rest. He says, come because I am your salvation. He tells us to come because I have laid my life down for you. We struggle resting. We need to be reminded of where our rest is. And so Jesus knows that. And Jesus gave this supper as a constant reminder of his eternal love and as he, of his eternal grace to us, and to remind us that our rest is in him. Who is this table for? It's for anyone who has come to the end of their rope. It's any, for those who have come to the end of all their resources, that Jesus, I need a savior. I need you to save me from my sin, from myself. And if you have come here today, and you have confessed your failures and your sin, and and given that over to Christ and ask him to save you, and you're seeking obedience in his church, he welcomes you to this table to find renewal, to find strength in him. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to let this pass and to pray that God would reveal this Jesus to you more clearly, that you could come to this table as a son or daughter. Let's pray. I'd like to ask the officers to come forward. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us this reminder of your eternal love. Lord, we know... You know the restlessness in our hearts, the worries, the anxieties that disturb us. You know the voices that we battle. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you offer us to come to you to find rest for our weary souls. And that you give us a yoke that's light. 